0: Before we start the show, if you want more stock talking, check out my newsletter at tinyletter.com slash bbrostoff, or visit postcoronastocks.com. You can find me on Twitter at at bmb21. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. All right. Welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. It is Sunday, December 20th. SPY on Friday closed at 369.18. You guys know what's coming next. It is The Impervious. How you doing, buddy?
1: So first of all... uh a happy belated Hanukkah, Master Brastoff, from uh, your, your favorite, Goy. Uh, and second of all, I've been, I've been working on my, my Christmas album because I'm on that part of my career. Would you you like to hear uh, a little snippet there from the, the first hit? Oh, definitely. Yeah. <clears throat> on the quad, witching op, X crowd strike, made bank for me.
0: There we go. That's a jam right there. Well, when's the full album coming out?
1: uh well we'll be releasing through uh dj khaled and uh his, his label pretty soon this week but just just in time for for that to hit stockings everywhere yeah christmas and and i guess hanukkah
0: has is maybe behind us it started uh, I, I lose track but always a fun time of year um obviously this year i, I heart goes out to all the people who, who are not seeing their families and celebrating a resume. but you know for Hanukkah, the candles are just as good over Zoom I found as they are in real life. So one menorah here is one menorah uh, elsewhere. You can see two at once, which wasn't a, a thing prior to COVID. So yeah, you got to try to put the uh, the silver
1: lining on the holidays. It does seem like people are are very eager and have been eager to get in the uh, the holiday spirit. And and brief sidebar here. I don't know if this is the case for you, but. Uh, I'm so much more stressed out trying to tell people what to get me so they will stop stressing about what to get me which creates this whole weird stress feedback loop around the holidays. So even with no traveling anything else it still finds a way to uh you know just kind of grind away at you for for several weeks. It sounds like a problem for an up and
0: coming startup to solve maybe in the the gift giving space. We'll uh we'll let the guys in Silicon Valley handle that. All right. Um so this week seemed pretty flat Uh, i I think i can actually say this did feel like kind of a boring week but feel free to disagree with me
1: yeah so that's that's a pretty fair assessment and considering my uh prognostication for you know blow off top to uh be taking us through the end of the year in the santa rally uh, we did see the major indexes climb higher each of them printing a new all-time high the spy uh hitting just about 372.50 um, the NASDAQ was a little stronger this week, hitting a new all-time high just below 312. And the small caps continue a strong lead uh, with a over 2.5% week closing or hitting a new all-time high at 197.83. So a couple things going on. It was a pretty boring week, but I guess when you have quad witching OpEx uh, and there is a lot of options contracts that are coming to an end, there is a very strong vested interest to to keep things pinned in a, in a pretty tight range, so that as few of those contracts are, are paid as possible, so despite sort of the you know relatively flat week, even though there was some melting and grinding up higher earlier in the week and then a little mean reversion to finish, uh, there, there were a couple things that sort of dominated um, first of all, this week we saw a continued weakness in the dollar uh, dropping. Um, about 80 basis points and breaking the 90 handle for the first time in 2020. So no surprise there that it continues to drop. But uh, with the dollar short being one of probably the most crowded trades in uh, in the market right now, there's there's got to be some point where it eventually finds the the temporary Bobman and has a, a dead cat. Um, And you know worth noting that on Thursday we saw the the DXY the most oversold that it's been since July But also to go back to this being quad witching OPEX and again um, quad witching that's a reference to uh, a number of different options contracts having this date as their expiration so There will be certain uh, different uh, things like SPY will have daily, in addition to weekly options, expirations, but um, some smaller cap or less liquid equities will only have expiration once a quarter. And when it falls in this date, um, there's sort of a lot of market maneuvering. And so we saw something pretty interesting on Wednesday, which is a record high gamma exposure print, the, the GEX. Um, coming in at seventeen billion dollars so two billion dollars higher than uh, the previous record print so that basically just means that there was a uh, almost comical amount of out of the mo- out of the money call option interest and in, you know, particularly in tech names like Amazon and Apple uh, so the call writers there usually market makers and larger hedge funds uh, are going to find a way, going into OPEX to make sure that as few of those contracts end up in the money as possible. But also when you have a high amount of gamma exposure like that, and that $17 billion figure refers to the fact that it costs option call writers $17 billion for each percentage point uh, the S&P 500 moves up. So that gets extremely expensive. And the more calls that are bought, you know, cause the market to move up this whole gamma squeeze effect that we've talked about. Um, but it just becomes an increasingly more crowded trade and something that, um, you know, eventually can blow up if there isn't a an increasing amount of call option buying to go along with that. But I guess there are a lot of signs at the end of the week pointing to uh, continued move up. And traditionally, the week before Christmas has been pretty strong for the markets. Uh, and first of all, we saw that that Gex number come down significantly. Uh, printing four billion on Friday. So um, still still plenty of, of uh, open interest on out on the money calls. But with you know, about 13 billion dollars worth coming off there, there's definitely room uh, to, to move up now with that sort of that opposing force of the option sellers. Uh, wanting to keep things down Um, and also sort of at the end of the day Friday despite some weakness we saw some pretty intense buying at the close and a couple different things affecting that in the S&P 500 that we'll get to in the news here Um, but sort of as expected we saw the VIX get crushed and then the dark pool index, um, which you know, pairs nicely with uh, the gex gamma exposure coming from uh, squeeze metrics, something I refer to frequently here. Uh, we saw a pretty bullish 45% print. Um, it's been moving up steadily, indicating more buying in the dark pools um, as opposed to more selling, which would sort of be some, somewhat of a precursor for a sell. So at least all the signs are pointing up going into this week, you know, maybe fairly low volume, it being year end, a lot of people sort of already taking off uh, for the year, but um, that's definitely a recipe for sort of a nice low volume melt up. But, you know, there are a number of potential uh, risks coming up, um, you know, maybe not necessarily this week, but definitely in the near future. And even with these low volume melt ups, there's always the chance for, you know, a, a pretty brief liquidation break that can uh, catch you sort of flat footed if you know, your expectation is just up and to the right. Um, but that said, it looks like more of the same. So all the tricks, all the old bag of tricks that's been working for you so far, looks like it'll probably carry over into next week.
0: Yeah. This, uh, this trade that you mentioned on previous podcasts, this seems like kind of a new market dynamic. This kind of heavy out of the money call buying. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on like what the Genesis of that was. And why people continue to buy really far out of the money calls as opposed to say, like, let's just say levering up on equities or just buying stock or something.
1: In a lot of ways, and it's kind of hard to really quantify the effect of, of retail in this uh, sort of rush um, of retail investors, the, the Robinhood crowd, and more specifically, the Wall Street bets crowd uh, is having on the market. And definitely the preferred instrument for a lot of those degenerate. Uh, gamblers or at least as they refer to themselves uh, is um, options usually very short expiration out of the money options that are cheap have a low uh, percentage likelihood of finishing in the money but when you do have one that hits um, the likelihood of you know a a multiple x return is is pretty significant there so with with you know a lot of the major names and indices uh, being very extended and overpriced Um, you're not seeing just money flooding in and uh, a lot of buying, um, except for, of course, the passive funds. So with nobody really selling, this does become kind of a more significant dynamic uh, that definitely affects things. And I think especially after August with um, that big tech whale, which turned out to be SoftBank, Really driving that that first major um, gamma squeeze higher. Now that I think it's it's out of the bag, there that this is uh, a pretty significant dynamic on the market. Um, it is conceivable that any motivated hedge fund or investment bank out there that can sort of you know toss around a few hundred million dollars in call options uh, can definitely front run and then get a rally going on one of or a number of different tickers. Um, you know, assuming that they've got that set up right. So I guess this is just the newest flavor of, of sort of legal market manipulation. Um, and again, with no selling to really uh, balance out the, the constant and persistent buy, <laughs> buying from you know passive funds, uh, something like this does end up having a, a pretty significant effect. Uh, the, the problem is, um, you know, as I tried to point out with that large gamma exposure print, you get diminished returns. Uh, the more sort of open interest you have. So either a lot of those calls get closed out and uh, you can frequently see a pretty quick drop as market makers who are holding the stocks to hedge uh, those calls that they sold are just now unwinding their positions. Um, If there isn't a sell to accompany that or the calls get moved forward uh, or even exercised, you can see the cycle just continue to repeat itself. So there is a way, assuming there are no new market dynamics really entering, we continue to have uh, a cheap inflow of, of credit from, from the Fed. Um, it does look like this would be one of the dominant dynamics. And I don't think that you can sort of discount the effect of retail, especially in a number of names, You know, Tesla being the most obvious where you know the, the, the retail influence uh, has, has been felt in this insane run. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, just surprised,
0: especially, like, as you said, at the end, yeah, names like Tesla. It's like, for something that's run up so much, it's, it's strange to think an out-of-the-money call would be perhaps the, the correct thing. What goes high can go higher. The other follow-up I have for you is on the DXY, you know, 80 bips down over the week. I'd be amiss if I didn't ask you about the massive run-up in Bitcoin. Uh, everyone from Jack Dorsey to Elon Musk uh, to pretty much anyone off into it, having some commentary there. Uh, Do you look at the dip in the dollar, which was pretty incremental, I mean, not significant as related to the meteoric rise in Bitcoin, or are those things completely separate?
1: Well, there's definitely a correlation there. Um, You know, at the simplest level, you can look at Bitcoin as sort of a a store of wealth. And I know it means a lot more to a lot of different people. Uh, But it being a dollar denominated asset, it's definitely going to respond to the dollar index going down. Uh, So, Even though the dollar has been making pretty precipitous decline over the last couple of weeks, uh, I don't think that's really the biggest factor here to to look at in terms of Of Bitcoin and sort of, you know, what what that means Bitcoin. Um, You know, in a larger sense, I think what has been driving this recent run in Bitcoin has been uh, the uh, adoption by uh, a number of funds and more sort of institutional investors. And in a lot of ways, that was sort of a major threshold that needed to be broken through, um, which on the one hand kind of legitimizes Bitcoin. Now that you have so much money coming in and from Ah uh, these institutional players, and that just continues to bid up the price there. Um, you know, not that any real additional value is added. it's not any more of a currency, but you have these new entrants you know sort of legitimizing it. but the bigger it gets and the more it's sort of adopted, the more likely it is it gets regulated and begins to sort of fall under the the same uh, sort of basic guidelines of other securities, and then it loses that decentralized anonymous benefit that I think a lot of the the hodlers and Bitcoin defenders on Twitter really, really want to see. Uh, so some of that rally can probably also be uh, prescribed to um, a, a rotation from gold into Bitcoin. But you know, to, to sort of front run, maybe one of the things we'll talk about here in the watch list, uh, we're entering basically the best time of year to buy gold. So even with gold sort of breaking out after hitting that temporary bottom, um, you know, below 1800 on the, on the spot price. It's, it's been moving up pretty steadily here. And I think that basically anything that's going to rotate out of gold, you know, in theory, it'd be a lot of millennials making that, that trade. Not that they probably owned a lot of gold to begin with, but that rotation has probably happened. So I definitely am much more bullish on gold in the near term. Even though, you know, we still see another parabolic move in, in Bitcoin. Uh, but, I just like the risk reward from this point, and this being such a, a traditionally good time of year for gold uh, to be buying into gold and you know since gold definitely hasn 't responded nearly the same way to the dollar in the DXY uh, continuing to set new lows, I think that there is quite a bit of mean, mean reversion there uh, and gold lagging some of those those other um, different commodities that this is a good opportunity for it to, to definitely make up um, some of that gap there and pick up the slack.
0: Yeah. I remain a gold bull. I mean, track record of outperformance, as you said, it has real physical asset uses. It, it has seasonal times where it outperforms. And as you said, we are coming close, uh, or in the middle of one of those seasons. It really is, uh, I'd say a little concerning to me to hear some of the commentary on Bitcoin becoming the favored, uh, inflation hedge. It, it makes me think, well, like if I have uh, mutual funds or kind of other funds that own gold as a hedge, are they going to be pressured uh, by their board or other investors in the fund to say, well, look at the incredible track record of Bitcoin over the last X number of months. Mind you, Bitcoin over three years is actually down, but we won't, we won't talk about that oh, or incrementally. I guess after this week's like incredible up move, it is at all time highs, but there was a period where it was, if you looked over a three year time period, it was down. But I think this could be a self-fulfilling prophecy. If this thing continues to go higher, I don't doubt that a lot of people will question if I want to f- hedge against inflation while I own Bitcoin. Anyways, uh, I mean, I, I think this is one where the price action perhaps builds a narrative as, as opposed to the other way around. Um, but I'm going to continue watching this going forward. That said, uh, this week ahead, I know you have a couple stories you want to talk about. Uh, I think we've both been kind of been waiting to see kind of a decline in the market after an enormous run up. Is this going to be the week or are we going to keep seeing uh, things tick upward?
1: Well, whether it is this week or, you know, this week is is that blow off top or, you know, this is a, a phased approach and something that we sort of continue to see heading into the early part of, of 2021 um, to, to sort of make a connection here. I think Bitcoin is probably more related to sort of some of the activity that we've seen on tickers like like Tesla in the sense that it's really just a a speculative vehicle, just like Tesla is a, a piece of paper with a sidecar business. Um, and so a, a lot of that just has to do with the current market environment. It's obviously very frothy, frothy, uh, and it's hard to sort of point to a catalyst that would really undo that. Um, just like, you know, I don't think that now is a great time to buy Bitcoin, but holding, you know, a, a pretty decent crypto position. I'm not necessarily looking to exit or thinking that this is some type of of top but certainly not looking to buy. But, you know, I think one thing that stands out, something we probably talked about on, you know, each of the last shows that we've done is that we have finally seen or will see Monday the formal introduction of Tesla and the S&P 500. And even though as you hit on the top, you know, the markets were pretty flat even just the last 30 minutes of trading on Friday, especially in Tesla, was some of the the wildest price action I think I've ever seen. Uh, and Tesla has definitely been uh, ridiculed for trading like a penny stock, which you wouldn't expect for, you know, a five, well, now 600 billion market cap company. Um, but Friday was the day that all of the different uh, funds that, that index the, the S&P 500 would be buying uh, the market-weighted uh, amount of Tesla and also selling you know, a number of other stocks to, to make room for that. So on, on Friday, I think there's a lot of traders who in the, the months leading up to, or weeks rather, this inclusion, you know, had been planning for this event. Um, and what really surprised me is that I guess all these funds really only had an, uh, a market on close order for for acquiring their shares, just sort of basically telegraphing that there is going to be a massive buy order at the end of the day. So what we saw is you know, Tesla begins selling off and then in an instant move basically $50 billion worth of market cap ended up trading 70 million shares on close at an absurd $695 spot. So, you know... Not really being in a, in a Tesla trade, I've got sort of a, a, a long-term short here, and you know, I'll get into that with my uh, uh, picks for the Wall Stars game this week, but to sort of see the, the cosmic comeuppance, if you will, here uh, with all of these different funds getting stuck with the most overpriced stock at the most ridiculous price we have seen yet. You know, if there's something that does feel like a top and I've heard many comparisons to Yahoo and sort of the the craziness there uh, with their inclusion in the S&P 500. You know, this does feel like something that when, when you sort of have the timeline of the bubble bursting with little, you know, either tweets or different news headlines tied up to, you know, some of the different. Spikes and drops. This will definitely be something that's attached to a pretty significant point in time. So I don't think the market's about to crash, but it, it is an inflection point, and I don't want to say that the Tesla trade is over. But if you think about you know the last however many months, um, basically post COVID, you know there's been a number of different really not materially important events uh, to the company, but to the stock that have been driving it higher. You know go back to maybe Battery Day and then this summer expectations of if they are profitable then they can be uh, at least meet the criteria to be included in the S&P 500 then they announce the split then we finally get the news that they will be included so i don't think there is any other news that could really drive it higher i'm sure you know they could announce a new car or a new battery technology that you know is many years down the line but now it's basically just tesla so you know i'll be interested to see especially since now that Tesla is included in S&P 500 uh, and that will drastically sort of tie down its volatility since it is moving uh, with this large basket of stocks and having a lot of its volume affected by movements of those indexes. You know, is this really sort of the end of, of Tesla being sort of the most insane over the top, you know, Wall Street bet style ticker to, to trade? Um, cause I guess, you know, as, as much as I don't think anyone thinks this evaluation is justified, it, it is a bit of a somber day to think that, you know, the Tesla ridiculousness is coming to an end to seeing as it's found a way to continue one upping itself and, and taking it to a next level.
0: Yeah. One thing that caught my eye when you put together the show notes, the, the $50 billion move kind of in, in the course of whatever it was, a couple minutes, hour, or who knows? Um, you know, I remember when I owned the stock in 2017, trying to justify what at the time was a fifty billion dollar market cap, and saying, "Well, they'll do twelve billion in sales in eighteen, and then twenty-four billion in nineteen. At that point, you're looking at two or you know three times two times sales, and, and of course, like that for valuing an automaker, you should never do a, a price multiple on sales, right? Because they have much a lot more issues carrying things over to the bottom line to free and to free cash flow compared to SaaS, right? You have a huge amount of capex, factories, all types of fixed costs in place. Um, so at the time, I remember just. One well, of my buddies saying, yeah, you know, this is 10x too high a uh, valuation. You know, fast forward to now, it's uh, whatever, $600 billion market cap, it's moving $50 billion in, a, in a single day. Um, so kind of a, a landmark moment for Tesla. I mean, I, I think, you know, nowadays, I think they're up to 2019, they did $24 billion in sales. They they have been pretty cash flow positive for a number of quarters now. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the valuation and like this, the enormous moves in the stock, I, I can't help but think it's, something wonky going on with a lot of retail owning or like the, the market has completely misjudged it, or maybe I'm totally wrong. Um, but I've never been so confused by a stock relative to what the fundamentals are.
1: And you can't get past the fact you being, the, you know, the fundamentals guy here instead of the market go up, he's down, he's guy. Uh, you can't ignore the fact that if it weren't for the regulatory credits, Tesla would not be profitable. So despite all of their non gap, uh, Chicanery and um, you know different things they've done, drawing down reserves, also cutting R and D, any number of things to just be profitable. You know, it's it's a company that is barely growing their top line number, and so I've largely not been trading in the EV space. Um, you know, except for Tesla, there are a few trends there, but that's been one of the hottest sort of trades um, for the last couple of months and sort of all of this riding on Tesla's coattails, but to me, this is a, a far more complex business than I think a lot of the the naive retail investors would, would have you believe, considering the complexity of the supply chain, um, all the way down to sourcing some of these rare earth minerals that are necessary for um, a lot of these different systems, and then also a lot of sort of um, looking at the future in very rosy or through very rose-colored lenses as far as how, uh, you know, robo-taxis and uh, self-driving sort of fleets will be implemented. And so I have a harder time seeing that than I do see something I'm much more bullish about, uh, that being, you know, software as a service or cybersecurity, you know, which isn't sort of tied down to the same um, operating sort of complexities and really just need sort of, uh, some type of critical event to happen to make people really appreciate how important and significant, you know, these, these different, um, new services or new, new approaches to, uh, doing business, especially, you know, in this work from home age and COVID age. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in, in a, in a bit here. i I did want to, before we you know, go on to the fun stuff, sort of you know, do a quick update here on some of the, the typical news we've been tracking. And obviously, the news has been dominated by COVID. Uh, and with you know, case counts and deaths going up, that's been a fade as far as you know price action for a long time. Um, but what's really been dominating the headlines has been the rollout of the Pfizer vaccine. Um, if you still read the news, there is just basically wall-to-wall coverage there. It's basically pretty nauseating. Um, But what we're seeing is sort of the the first round of people who've received the vaccine um, having having some adverse reactions, very hard to get, you know, total sort of uh, picture here with the data that's been available. But um, I think that's definitely something worth looking into because if we are pricing in sort of a very quick return to normal and as we've talked about in the past especially some of the cyclicals things like energy uh, really having a major tailwind from people getting back to work you know if we look at one as we talked about before potential risk for you know supply chain limitations not being able to make as many vaccines you know as was originally advertised but then two as we're seeing now uh, the actual real effects of you know what would happen some of the things they're calling either a, an allergic reaction or, um, you know, one Chicago area hospital um, stopped inoculations after having four severe reactions. So some people are ending up in the ICU. You know, this is something that will be weighed pretty heavily since they aren't required, at least yet, on recipients. And so adoption there is something that is still a concern. And so when you pair that with the case counts going up, I think that there's definitely a potential narrative that could be built in something that could affect the markets uh, around a shutdown, which a, a shutdown seems like the more immediate um, a factor to, to affect the markets than than sort of a return to normal. And we are seeing the UK move to their most restrictive tier four level of lockdown, effectively canceling Christmas. Um, since a lot of the stuff that we see stateside happens in Europe first, and we have seen places like California teasing the fact that if cases reach a certain level, a certain threshold that we're just Knocking on the door of, you know, we're back to a pretty restrictive lockdown. So, as much as the cases themselves and maybe the the threat of COVID uh, does seem to be like something that will be in our rearview soon, I don't think that we can look past the risk of a lockdown and that what that will mean in certain businesses. Now that said, I do think that there is a benefit to the market seeing worse COVID, and that benefit here is that the worse the situation gets, the more likely we are to get some actual stimulus and some meaningful stimulus. Yeah, you know,
0: we already got it. The news actually broke well this podcast uh, started. And so I was watching the wire. It appears this $900 billion stimulus bill has been passed.
1: So that oh, is now, that, that's, that's actually- our breaking news, Ben. Could you give us a breaking news on the podcast update here?
0: Yeah, breaking news update. Uh, according to CNBC.com, uh, you know, the... The trusted news source I go to, Congress agrees to $900 billion COVID stimulus deal after months of failed negotiations. Um, not much to report other than that. Uh, lawmakers will move to vote on the proposal along with a full-year government spending bill as soon as Sunday night, but it appears, in principle, this bill has been agreed to. Uh, market seems to be down, at least on the futures, but we'll see what happens on Monday's Open.
1: So that, that begs the question, and before I ramble on some more, I'm, I am interested to know, Ben, do you think this is a a sell the news event as far as a stimulus deal or at least a stopgap actually getting done?
0: Yeah, I mean, too too few details to know at this point, but like in my mind, it was already priced in, right? Like had the market had any uncertainty around whether stimulus was gonna pass, I think we would have seen somewhat of a sell-off. I think this never was really a factor in terms of how the market traded. Like was there any doubt that this thing was gonna be passed by the end of the year? In my mind, now, so at least it does take one risk off the table. Could be sell the news, but overall, I don't really think it changes my market outlook. Your thoughts on this breaking news, sir?
1: So, I, you know, once that that bullet is fired, you no longer have it, and we've we've seen so many many pumps based on sort of these these dovish comments from from Pelosi or otherwise about how we're getting closer, it's getting done, but the market is priced in a significantly bigger stimulus package, as far as I'm concerned. So this deal getting done is, is sort of insignificant, even though it is great to get more, uh, more cash in the hands of consumers, um, since we have seen some really weak, consistently weak economic numbers over the last couple of weeks with unemployment continuing to go up. Uh, and if we get another higher unemployment number this week, then that's a pretty bona fide trend that we are not uh, continuing to recover, but in fact, uh, getting in a worse employment situation. But um, other than the Benefit of of better consumer spending here, you know, there is an expectation of a bigger deal, and that has to get done. And so, there's a couple things about this deal that that are important to point out. And so, I guess the first thing is the first sort of inflection point where I see risk is around the January 5th Georgia Senate runoff, uh, because that would determine, you know, whether we have uh, split sort of uh, Senate versus um, the presidency in the House. Um, or a blue wave. And so if the market is pricing in a significant uh, stimulus package, you know, one, a blue wave would sort of guarantee a much bigger package. That would be incredibly bullish. But uh, having um, a a split sort of Congress and um, presidency that does sort of make it less likely that a big deal gets done. And I think there's also the potential risk that this is the last stimulus deal that happens. And so one thing that stood out to me this week, a piece of news uh, relating to the stimulus package, is that a major sticking point in negotiations had been a Republican effort to include language in the stimulus package that would curtail the powers of the Fed by preventing the Fed and Treasury Department from reestablishing emergency lending programs that had been backed by the congressional appropriation and would have barred the creation of similar programs going forward, many of which would end on december 31st so the goal of this would be to basically tie the hands of the biden administration and limit the powers of the uh j printer go burr uh and would be pretty dollar bullish moving forward so there's definitely a concerted effort from the republicans to do whatever they can to sort of limit a biden administration's ability to uh basically deliver that that knockout massive uh stimulus package that you know would send the dollar plummeting send both uh crypto and commodities absolutely soaring and just be great for the markets in a a zimbabwe stock market type way um but now we have this announcement i have to see if there's any update on that wording but i think that would be a significantly uh important piece of of language in there as far as it does affect you know the feds abilities to continue just lending on a massive level as as sort of been uh prescribed in the cares act
0: yeah, we'll have to follow up on that one. I'm not sure where, where that language will end up. And obviously, as you said, it would be restrictive if the Fed would not be allowed to lend in future emergencies. Um, that obviously has played a huge role in the last couple of economic crises that have happened. Um, I did, before we want to move on, revisit some of the, the COVID discussion. So as you said, like clearly there are going to be bumps in the road and already have been in terms of uh, how people have reacted to the vaccine. Um I think we need to ultimately give it time. Like, you know, we're on whatever month one of this being administered. I finally found uh, data on how many doses uh, across countries have been uh, delivered. So if ourworldanddata.org is accurate, which appears to be affiliated with the University of Oxford, uh, United States has had about a little more than 100,000 doses administered. Remember, you need to, to be fully vaccinated. Um, the UK is a little bit over 100,000. And then China is leading the, the world uh, at a bit over a million. Who knows if those numbers are correct? Um, so that said, like, I, I think I'd like to, you know, you, we're talking in terms of like total case count ever. I think it's probably well above 100 million at, that, at this point. It all depends on like what multiple you think uh, of cases that have occurred that have been reported. I mean, 200,000 people being uh, infected a day, you, you know, that's a million a week if we keep at this pace you know, several months down the line, obviously you're looking at a pretty large number relative to the population. And it remains to be seen how quickly vaccinations will grow compared to that number. Um, I will say like trying to think about you know, this kind of pandemic from a more mathematical point of view, I feel like the numbers I'm trying to watch and more so than the noise and like some of the, the articles that get put out is how many vac- vaccinations are there um, across the country? And then what's the seven day moving average of infection rate, what's hospital capacity? I mean, if you can come up with some expectations around those numbers, presumably you can say like, is the market uh, above or below expectations versus reality, which is is what I'm always trying to figure out. I think it's so easy to react to some of the news items we talk about in the show and be like, you know, markets should trade like this, markets should trade like that. Ultimately, stuff gets priced in. and, And I think what you're really trying to do is say what happened relative to what the expectation was. Uh, so I think a, a bit too early to kind of make predictions on the vaccine rollout, or say you know particular news around some um, some anecdotes are going to have a, a material effect on what happens with the vaccine. But definitely something I'm watching. Um, anything else you want to cover on either vaccine or uh, stimulus before we move on to the story? I'm really looking forward to which is cybersecurity.
1: Yeah, nothing, nothing other than I mean, a lot of the news, the headlines are just a fade, but it is woven into the the different. Um, oddities that do actually affect the market now or the pieces of news that do sort of lead to um, some price action. So continuing to fade case counts, continuing to fade deaths again, as far as, you know, that affects price. Um, But you know, this isn't going away. So there's, there's still got to at least be the discussion. Do we, do we even need to care about it?
0: Definitely. All right, let's get into this solar wind story because I think it is massively underrated in terms of the amount of headline coverage it's getting and how much it could impact not only cybersecurity stocks, but I actually think like a lot of companies are going to be impacted by the role uh, data security and data protection plays in the years to come.
1: Yeah, so we talked about on our last show, squeezed it in sort of at the end there, um, a little piece of news was that FireEye, a cybersecurity firm, uh, had been hacked, and a part of what was taken in that hack were some of their uh, red team tools or basically tools that they use um, to do like penetration testing um, and basically emulate uh, a hacker so the The thesis there was that the the tools here were were not you know the end game but um, this is sort of just, they took the tools, whoever this was, and, you know, it's quickly blamed on Russia. And any article you'll see about this quickly blames it on Russia. Um, they were planning to use these tools for a much larger cyber attack and use these tools to basically cover their tracks. So, um, you know, we talked about how we expected that to be a, a prelude to something bigger. And sure enough, you know, we saw news this week that at least 200 organizations, including uh, government agencies and a number of international corporations uh, have been hacked as part of a suspected Russian uh, cyber attack stage using a backdoor in SolarWinds Orion network management software. So interestingly enough, FireEye discovered the SolarWinds backdoor while investigating their own breach. Uh, and Microsoft also announced that 40 of its customers have been hacked after finding the malicious SolarWinds update within its network. So we we talked about this a little pre-show, and I think what stands out here is not the fact that there's a hack, but we've seen um, a few sort of brief, uh, terse updates about you know how Donald Trump's been briefed on this. This is being taken very seriously in the White House. This is uh, affecting a number of different government agencies, including the Treasury. So I think the fact that no information has got out, and we don't really have any other information other than uh, this this quick finger pointing at Russia, definitely indicates to me this is a lot worse than is being let on. Or uh, even worse than that, you know, we don't really know exactly what. The, the end game of the hack was or what it's doing, which probably means that it's still doing it. And it's probably too late to stop it. So considering how many different facets of not just the corporate world, but uh, the US government world have been hit by this, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there is potentially still some type of black swan event uh, with something you know, it could look as far as something affecting the electrical grid, or potentially even the financial market somehow being affected via this hack. Uh, we just don't know. And the breadth of it indicates that it really could be anything. So, you know, considering the uh, great podcast that you had with uh, Chris Seifel that I recommend everyone checking out where um, you guys put much more eloquent and thoughtful language into being bullish about the, the same stocks that have been trading sort of indiscriminately for the last three months. And at the very least, I mean, this does look bad, but This is very, very bullish for cybersecurity. And if you saw some of the the candles, the daily candles out there in the biggest cybersecurity names, even FireEye, which sold off significantly uh, after announcing the hack, was up 33% Friday. And uh, as as I sung about at the top, CrowdStrike had a, a a pretty incredible run on Friday with a 10% move after already basically doubling uh, in the last three to four months um, across the board. All the cybersecurity names do look to really benefit from this, probably becoming a much more significant news story, uh, and especially with uh, the the Cloudflare CEO on uh, Mad Money last week, Matthew Prince, basically talking all types of trash about legacy platforms and just pumping uh, the Cloudflare strike after hours. Um, I think that the place to be looking, forget the EV stocks, forget whatever you know, other trendy Momo plays you have, cybersecurity is about to go off. And so we can get into some names, but interested to get your thoughts there.
0: Yeah. I'm going to try to summarize kind of the the basics of what happened as best I can here, And I think in order to to kind of convey the implications, so any listeners who have a cybersecurity background, please feel free to email me and correct anything I'm saying. That sounds wildly off. So from what I understand, SolarWinds is a company that that plays in a lot of different spaces. I think they distribute a a ton of software modules, uh, some of which include security products, some of which are for things like ERP and other applications. Um, the module that was uh, infected here with the malevolent software um, that was kind of distributed by unknown parties. I mean, some assume it to be state actors; Others assume it to be other hacking groups. We really don't know at this point. Um, but, anyways, one of these these modules called Orion, which I believe has some ERP uh, use cases, but, but basically, you know, they have a ton of a ton of customers from telecommunications to government departments uh, to you know anyone who kind of plays in that ERP space and, and needs SolarWinds software. Um, this software module, uh, clearly was hacked and clearly was tampered with. Um, there was code, uh, put into the source code that allowed, um, tracking, um, you know, remote control, kind of whatever other, uh, bad actions, malicious, malicious actions that allow you to monitor and and change code. Um, all of that was kind of at play. It's not known when this entered um, the Orion module, so it could have been in a software release that happened half a year ago. It definitely was happening ones that were happening in the the previous weeks and months. Um, And anyone who received the update was impacted. Um, This update also was very difficult to detect because it was essentially dormant for two weeks, so it didn't leave any type of trail or signature. Um, All of the bad stuff started happening about two to three weeks after the update was pushed out. Um. This makes it difficult to track, like when there was a problem, um, and when kind of this uh, malicious code was introduced. So <laughs> the impact here is not really known. Um. Nor is it known uh, how many customers of SolarWinds are potentially infected. Um. I did notice we talked about Cloudflare on the show a number of times, which says some different stuff than CrowdStrike. But one cloud thing Cloudflare does have is a global network that um. You know passes around a bunch of DNS traffic. So they have a pretty good blog post up on their blog that basically uses the DNS traffic that they've seen um, to make some claims about, uh, you know, using the subdomains that they found that point back to the malicious parties uh, about how widespread this uh, this attack is, and and the results are not encouraging. Um, I'm looking at this graph now in terms of unique weekly uh, observations on the subdomain. Um, you can see like some pretty bad, uh, bad traffic as, as time goes on. So overall, like I think this, we're in the early innings and dare I say like the first inning of, of where the story is. I mean, I, I think I found the more research I tried to do this week, the more unknowns there were, uh, including like probably the, the biggest question everyone has is like, how was solar winds hacked in the first place? Um, which appears to like not really be clear to me at least. So there's a lot more to find out. Um, you, can, you, you know for sure at this point that every company is making cybersecurity a priority. Um, SolarWinds itself had CrowdStrike come in to try to help them straighten things out um, after this attack. So there's going to be... A, I mean, we're going to be hearing about this for months. And like as everybody knows, you know these things take years to investigate. Um, I recommend people check out the documentary Zero Days. Uh, you can find it on Netflix, but it's about um, Stuxnet. And for those who aren't familiar... Um the u s and Israel basically engineered this virus to to try to sabotage Iran's nuclear program, but basically it was this software that got distributed and uh, played a part in like causing some of the nuclear reactors to go haywire so I mean that it's a great documentary in terms of pointing out like the history of this and, and kind of all the bells and whistles weren't known until years after the fact, and kind of some of the detective work um, is unbelievably complex so we're not we're not even close to done in terms of where the story is going and getting to the bottom of it. But in the meantime, you know, I do think you're going to see CrowdStrike definitely get more inbound traffic. I mean, they don't even need sales reps at this point, right? I think it's it's very likely people are coming to them and say, hey, you know, we've heard about the SolarWinds thing. We're worried we might be impacted. What can CrowdStrike do for us? So I think they're not the only vendor. Um, I think Cloudflare, who plays more on the networking, DDoS protection and kind of other spaces, which I feel a little bit more tertiary, but at the same time, like Cloudflare has also played a role in investigating the aftermath of this. Uh, I think Cloudflare and CrowdStrike are both going to be enormous beneficiaries of this, and to their credit, um, you know, these are both companies that have really kind of made it a, a top priority to be guardians of the internet. So uh, I'm looking to kind of add to both to those names, both of those names and any weakness. Um, but what a huge story. I, I mean, I think it's any number of U.S. government agencies that have been impacted um, and it, I think, uh, I don't know who said it, but like, I think it was called like the most grave worst cyber attack in U uh, S history. So, I mean, people are already kind of saying the magnitude of this thing is unprecedented.
1: It, it, it looks really bad. <laughs> There's no way around that. And the tough thing about it, I mean, Stuxnet was allegedly, uh, designed and deployed by, uh, the NSA and, uh, Mossad from Israel, but it's, notoriously difficult to find attribution for hacks. And especially if the fire eye tools were using this, you know, we may never know exactly who it was and the best attempt you have is sort of the, the qui bono approach, the, who benefits from this. And even then it's still just speculation. So really the next step is to just figure out, you know, what the wreckage is what's on fire here and piece together, you know, what were the targets and only then will we, will we know more, but, you know, I look forward to this sort of being the, the next sort of matter of national security that we need to get through. And I don't think it's any, any mystery and something we've definitely talked about plenty on the show, how e- even though there isn't you know, a kinetic war except for the forever wars in the Middle East um, with bullets and missiles, being, um, we've been in the midst of uh, a number of different fronts of asymmetrical warfare, uh, primary one being on on the cyber front with a number of cyber attacks coming, um, you know, some of the, the big names, at least suspected big names out there, and when they say, you know, some type of nation-state actor, they mean, you know, an organized group of hackers and not, you know, someone uh, in, in their mom's basement drinking Mountain Dew or you know, whatever you think a hacker looks okay. like. Um, and, you know, those are s- suspected to be from Russia, from China, North Korea, famous you know, assembled a group to hack Sony uh, when uh, whatever that movie was called, the assassination about Kim Jong-un was coming out, which is also mentioned in Zero Day. Um, so a fascinating area. But since we, we've solved many of the great sort of national problems, we beat the environment or we um, are, are in the process of beating the things that, that beat the environment, whether that's with EVs or solar. And then we beat the virus. So obviously, we've seen a, a massive pump in uh, pharmaceuticals and names like Moderna, you know, this next Frontier, the next thing we need to rally together to beat is is cybercrime and cyber terrorism. So I, I look forward to um, you know, the powers that be here controlling the narrative by coming out and announcing some new task force or some new funding, you know, to get into this space because to take the egg off their face from um, what seems like pretty embarrassing and damaging hack, you know, they can sort of use that to do a little saber, saber rattling and showing that, you know, we're, we're also invested here in in some winning. But, um, you yeah, one, know, one thing, too, if there is a follow up in a
0: formal investigation, you can make a pretty sa- safe bet that CrowdStrike is going to be tapped to play a role in that. I mean, people remember four years ago, one one way CrowdStrike really got their start in terms of being in the public eye was they investigated Uh, the Russia hacks that occurred in 2016. So they're they're very well equipped um, to kind of do forensics on this. I mean, as you mentioned, I I really recommend people go and listen to the Chris Seifel podcast. He has some really good commentary on this. Um, But in terms of like what CrowdStrike actually does, you know, remember this is a company that has 4 trillion data points in terms of previous attacks that have occurred and previous suspicious activity. Um, They're in a very good position to basically look at any activity on a server and say, you know, this is something that looks like it was potentially infected by this previous attack we've seen. Um, and again, is like the, the way the most the worst attacks are the attacks that are gateways to a lot of entry points. Right. So this is why like Orion, I think, was chosen as a target. You know, Orion has a bunch of uh, it's a software module that's on telecom that's on, uh, you know, very important U.S. government agencies. I mean, who knows kind of all, the entire attack service? I think, as you said, financials may also have been impacted. So that, that the central CrowdStrike product, right, which is what they call a sensor, which they install on uh, on servers that can detect um, attacks, like you know, the second that they can match a whatever you want to call it a fingerprint, um, once they've seen a, a previous attack and can match it, um, I mean, that's their core competency. So. And then the other thing with the cyber podcast too is like if you think more computes coming online as we see more things like kind of AI applications or just kind of more server traffic in general with everybody having a mobile phone, the attack service is increasing more and more every day. So the opportunity for CrowdStrike is kind of a parallel uh, to the amount of compute you see. So, and, and you can bet too is that amount of uh, you know, containers, servers, whatever, uh, whatever can run software, uh, the hackers are looking at that too, right? They want as big a platform as possible. Um, So I do think like CrowdStrike's TAM to me is just growing every day um, and extremely bullish for the company. I think good to have them around too. Um, Ultimately, this is a a really good private company that I think it can fulfill functions the government can't. Um, So in the same way you could think of Boeing as a company that's absolutely imperative uh, for us defense. You know, back when I worked in banking, people said Boeing bonds were the same as us government bonds, right? The government would never let Boeing go bankrupt. CrowdStrike to me is, is more or less the same as a, a must-have um, U.S. defense agency. It's just a private company, um, but that you know, it's going You can bet, you can make a pretty good bet. It's gonna be around in ten years.
1: And you know what else CrowdStrike does besides security products, Ben? What's they- that? Oh, yeah. So if you've been listening to the show, you know that I've been as bullish. This is, I, I've said on the show, this is the one stock that I am most bullish on. In fact, we even made a bet. You said that you were even more bullish or most bullish about betting, uh, to which I said, I will take CrowdStrike over anything else any day. And we'll check in on that MGM versus CrowdStrike bet. At the at the end of the show, but you know, we'll take a minute to just sort of reflect on how often we've pumped CrowdStrike and Cloudflare, and you know how well those have done. So, take a bow, CrowdStrike and Cloudflare.
0: Please remember, we are not uh, qualified financial investment advisors. Uh, the, the classic disclaimer you got in every podcast, but uh, yes, we <laughs> we simply are a podcast of two guys. None of this is financial advice, but those those two recommendations did work out quite well for anyone to listen to them.
1: What the the simple thing is now that you know I expect a, a significant amount of volume to be to be flooding in here. Or at least that's you know what we would expect sort of with this becoming you know more headline news. Uh, you can just go back to the well with these guys, especially since it doesn't look like there's any types of paradigm shifts. You know definitely look for an entry here, especially with uh, CrowdStrike having that massive 10% day on Friday. I wouldn't be surprised if it gaps up on Monday uh and could still run from there, but uh it's run up a significant amount already and I'm still looking uh for it to go higher. But you know if you aren't already in that trade, definitely make sure you look for a pullback. I think that uh, Cloudflare is in a little better position, just getting right into the watch list for this week. And these two were sort of my top picks. Cloudflare pretty quiet last week. Um, bouncing around between sort of the 81 to 83 handle uh, and then taking off right after close on Friday, uh, sort of corresponding with the, that Matthew Prince appearance on Mad Money. Uh, so I think that's definitely got a, a, a cleaner entry, but um, just all across the board in cybersecurity. So a couple names that I'm looking at next week. Um, so one of the bigger blue chip names, Cisco, uh, is sort of you know a little less explosive to the upside. But looking at the chart here, Um, it's got a nice gap fill opportunity moving up to about 48. So you're looking at a nice risk reward there. Uh, Something maybe a little less volatile uh, than some of these major growth stocks out there in the space. Um, But a couple names that had massive days Friday that I do expect to continue. Uh, SailPoint Technologies and Palo Alto Networks. Um, Obviously with uh, FireEye really surging on Friday and that just like CrowdStrike, it could probably cool off a little bit before another move. Um, But this is an entire space that I think um, is still worth getting long in now, but um, preferring to trade options as i do there's nothing stopping you from jumping into a highly overpriced stock that's you know that that last move in in sort of parabolic move is, is sort of most profitable you know hardest the time and sort of least uh, logical, but um, if you're trading sort of an options strategy it 's a lot easier to sort of get in or out or you know if you are long and want to lock in some of your your profits there. You know, you could use something like a collar um, to sort of prevent that that drawdown that seems inevitable once something is run up. Um, but if you are looking to get some exposure across the board in the cybersecurity space, uh, probably my favorite ETF in the space is the ETFMG Prime Cybersecurity Index uh, ticker hack. Which sidebar, I, you know, being pretty dyslexic, definitely prefer the tickers that are, you know, some fun little novelty or word as opposed to just sort of the uh, brief version of the company's name squeezed together. So you now go, go buy yourself a little hack just because um, that's, that's, that's a fun, fun name there. Uh, but a couple plays um, I'm definitely looking for, and these are a little more tangential, um, you know, not as obvious uh cybersecurity plays, you know, something like Crowd, which would show up in some of those headlines about this particular case or FireEye. Uh I'm definitely looking for a nice breakout in DocuSign, uh, which sort of could get a double tailwind from continued sort of work from home, uh, or at least that status not changing, in addition to sort of some of the, the security benefits there. Um and that's one that has definitely been waiting for a breakout over 250, which we could see uh coming you know, sometime this week. And if there is a decisive move over 250, you know, we could see that run up all the way to the all time high around 290 in uh, a short amount of time. So this is one where I do feel like there's still a nice explosive upward move to be had there. Um, and really hasn't, you know, run up too much. Um, you know, the IV is still a bit higher than most of the other names that you'd be playing. Supreme is not going to be cheap, but I definitely like the risk reward here around the the 240 spot if you can Get in somewhere around there. So um, that having been said, a couple other names in the space, which again you and uh, Chris definitely hit on on that podcast yesterday, Octa uh, is a good play there. ZScaler one to watch. I know Chris wasn't as bullish there, um, but if this this whole sector is going to sort of move as one. Um, I'm looking for, you know, who hasn't sort of run up as much. And if I still believe in the overall thesis there, maybe not the the finer points of a company's business, but, you know, the fact that it is, you know, a bit of a laggard in an area that's really taking off. um, I do like the risk return on that and, you know, might might look to put in uh, maybe a slightly longer term uh, swing trade on that. But any other names you want to toss in there in the the cybersecurity space? No, I mean, this may be
0: an odd recommendation, but like, Amazon through Amazon Web Services ultimately has its own set of security pro- products that may seem a little tertiary, like uh, CrowdStrike is on AWS's Marketplace, so that is on like a sidecar product you can install through AWS. Uh, but ultimately, like part of this too is permissions um, and making people have sure people have the proper access control so social engineering hacks don't happen. That probably wasn't what happened here, but that's kind of an a equal form of another insidious type of hacking is when it happens from the inside. So. I think this is probably another opportunity to invest more in Amazon web services and kind of commit more to their security infrastructure. There's also definitely a lot of vendor lock in there uh, because they have a very specific way of doing security. Um, And and, you know, it's, it's a good way they do have a number of white papers and they are kind of FedRAMP certified. So if you have AWS, you can own government data and hold it um, and pass it from place to place uh, through um, AWS servers. So, I would say um, it probably isn't going to show up uh, in terms of the price action as quickly as the names we talked about, but I think AWS and, and therefore Amazon is a nice beneficiary of this.
1: Yeah, just uh, you know, run through the the rest of the watch list pretty quick. Um, again, with cybersecurity being sort of the the bulk of what I'm, I'm looking to trade this week or see the most upside on, you know, barring some some new piece of news or, you know, something that um, leads to a sort of market-wide drawdown. Uh, one name that's got a lot of eyes on it uh, is Walmart, um, you know, from a, a technical standpoint, uh, looks to be ready to move off sort of the, the bottom side of this upward channel it's been in. Um, so with a decisive move sort of above 148, you know, targeting a, a measured move up to 153 and potentially upside to 160 Uh, so considering we're we're looking at a potential santa rally here uh i do like the the e-commerce play with walmart plus definitely uh expect there to be at least some some positivity from from the retail standpoint even if it's just getting over the very low bar set uh after um black friday sort of disappointed in brick and mortar uh there there's at least a narrative there Um, And going back to the well, I I know I've called out TSM, Taiwan Semiconductor, uh, a number of times as a breakout candidate, but it's really sort of just been consolidating in this tight range between 103 and 105 for about two weeks. Um, But that means that IV has come down a bit, premiums are cheaper, and we may have had a nice catalyst on Friday for a move up. Uh, Again, TSM, another one that Chris uh, talked very highly about and one that I think stands to benefit uh, across the board. Uh, in the semi space because they are semi manufacturers as opposed to designers. So um, on Friday, Microsoft announced plans to make their own silicon, which would be produced by presumably TSMC. So this sent uh, Intel tumbling. And generally, um, since Intel does make their own chips, anytime business is lost by Intel or someone announces that they're making their own, um, that's going to be bullish for TSMC. So if we do see a breakout, I'm targeting a measured move here up to 115. So potentially up to a, a 10% move there. Uh, if we do see some movement on that the piece of news um, and a, a long time, we haven't talked about um, this one, but a, a long time friend of the podcast, uh, Smile Direct Club, or as I like to call it, Smile Design Club, um, friend of the podcast, give them a shout out there. Uh, it does look like it's setting up for a nice 2021. I don't know if I have a news catalyst here and you'll have to do a little deep dive uh, in some of their fundamentals, but uh, where it sits today, there's a, a nice um, sort of breakdown candle to be climbed if it can capture uh, that $13 strike. And it does look like the chart here uh, is primed for a breakout with some upside up to 15. So that's a nice uh, little cheap play, and do like the risk. Yeah. So, quick thoughts on, on Smile Direct Club before
0: you move on. So, I, I did see you had this in the show notes, and I was like, has anything in this story really changed since we started talking about this name? So, pull up the financials. Obviously, earnings aren't everything, but for the nine months ended September 30th for 2020, 246 million dollar loss. Of course, again, earnings aren't everything. Let's look at the cash flow. Net cash used in operating activities: 69 million or so um purchase of property plant and equipment this is what most people call capex There's another about 69 million. So you're looking at close to 140 million dollars in negative free cash flow. Um, obviously not what you want to, where you want to be as a business I, I will point out that's a, a lesser loss than the previous year and the same time period So maybe the, the thought is they can somehow go uh, FCF positive in the in the coming years uh, but this seems very speculative I mean on the revenue side they'll do, it looks like $600, 700 million in revenue. Um, I, I think on the market cap, it's like a four and a half billion dollar company. Uh, so still a pretty rich multiple for uh, relative to sales for a company that, you know, by the way, is not software and does have capex in terms of real stuff they have to buy that to, to put in whatever they put into your teeth, a retainer or whatever type of product to straighten out your smile. Um, I will. I mean, that's that's purely the financials. There's obviously a more qualitative story, and we've talked about how they do have a popular product um, that is seeing some adoption. So. Want to look more at this name? I mean, you and I talked uh, to—we talked about a while ago how like we were kind of watching the casino names. And uh, from a fundamental side, during COVID, like things didn't look good in March and April. However, there was a ton of insider buying. There was a ton of price action um, in terms of call buying. So there's something going on with Smile Direct Club. I mean, I've had this stock on my watch list for months, and I think it's probably gone up from like seven or eight bucks to wherever we are now, like mid-teens. So I, I will promise to the listeners I want to do more work on this name. I'm not writing it off. I will say the financials are not good, but of course, stocks don't trade on a snapshot of financials today. They trade on what they could do a year, two years, three years from now. So warrants a larger discussion. But I will say, like it, it's it's now on my list to do research on um, because it's had such a spectacular bull run this year.
1: I, I have no answers for you other than to say. Nothing like price to change sentiment here. So, (laughs) yeah,
0: price kind of creates its own narrative. I
1: I have learned that. So to to take it through the home stretch here, I just want to reiterate: this is the time of year to buy metals, uh, especially gold and silver. Both look uh, prime for for a breakout. Um, The seasonality of it is great, and especially if you know we continue to see the dollar plummeting, Um, I definitely like this to be a great entry uh, for another strong. Rally um, by by all accounts, we we are you know looking at a, a secular bull market in commodities, so um, probably not a bad time to be getting into gold and silver. But this is definitely a great time, and just tie it up here with a, a galaxy brain play here. Um, you know, playing around with some of these recent IPOs, and especially with, with you know the action we've seen around names like Palantir and Snow. Uh, and especially some of the craziness around Airbnb and Dash. Uh, one that's sort of seen some um, consolidation post IPO is Corsair. Uh, they make different video game components. So as soon as they've found uh, support around 35 and with a, a post IPO high around 50, um, if if something like uh smile direct club you know can find just uh some buying with with no catalyst or anything else i think christmas time and just like with the walmart thesis here uh video game components that you know could could find some some bit of headwinds but i i do think that this just being a frothy market and where we are um, some irrational moves in a lot of recent IPO stocks are, are, you know, something that you can definitely trade. Uh, do I want to buy any of these names at some of these prices? I mean, tell me how it was buying big C at, at one forty, and you know, I'll, I'll gladly trade these any day, but I don't know, you know, there is no price discovery right now. So, um, that, that's what I got for this week on the watch list.
0: I like it. Some old favorites, uh, some new discussions. So uh. We'll see. It's interesting, kind of the stocks that were running, uh, kind of earlier, even you know before the summer started, are kind of the ones we're talking about now. But a lot of football left to play, as we like to say. Alrighty, uh, should we should we close the show with some bets that you and I have had uh, since May first? And uh, our
1: Wall Stars, and let's take it home. And Wall
0: Stars, sweet. All right, so the first one, everyone's probably familiar with this at this point. Um, total return since May first of uh, Berkshire versus Triple Q. So that is Warren Buffett's. Um, conglomerate versus uh, the, the NASDAQ 100. So, uh, the Oracle has done pretty well this year, up 22%, but no match for tech, which is up 46%. So, still a lot of ground to catch up. No news there. That's been a uh, a big win for you for quite a while. Um, you, you alluded to this earlier in the show MGM versus CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike, man, since August 10th, in 110% return, obviously had a killer week. MGM is uh, is you know not too shabby either at forty six percent, but yeah, crowd drag looking at a, a double since August, pretty amazing. Oh yeah, I think both of us may have that in Wall Stars, but we'll get to that soon. Final bet: uh, the battle of the lame footwear, Crocs versus Skechers. Uh, Crocs continues its incredible bull run. I think it's close to an all time high at sixty four bucks, um, up fifty eight percent since August seventeenth. Skechers. Not bad at a 23% return. I mean, the whole market is on fire right now, but um, Crocs is uh, kind of winning the way there. So one for three, as usual. All right, Wall Stars. The week that was, we actually both performed quite well. Um, added up all your returns sum to 43%. Of course, it's not a 43% total return, but that's just going through all six names and summing the returns. But CrowdStrike, Craftings, PayPal, AMD, Triple Q and SPY, a very strong week for you. Long only, Uh, you pretty much called uh, the melt-up, even though the melt-up may not be complete.
1: Just going back to the wall. You you don't need to overthink it here.
0: Yep. Uh, Listeners of the show may remember I was big on the Slack acquisition, uh, leading a run-up in some tech names. That's not really what happened, but that said, Dropbox was still up 15% over the week. Uh, Disney, Atlassian, gold uh vxx short and spy i was up total 38 percent. so you beat me about 44 to 39 um pretty close battle but uh you eked out the victory
1: oh yes and uh looking forward to to continue but also want to give a shout out to uh listeners uh mike bush and the hebrew hammer also for for some strong showings but uh not quite enough to top your uh your two hosts here
0: definitely and continue playing
1: uh Definitely shout out to
0: both of them. I will I will say to, to Mike, you created a new way of playing this game, which is to only enter um, five stocks as opposed to six. I think it's enough to change the rules. Uh, Sean and I both agreed it is fair game to pick five and not six. So nice innovation there.
1: Very contrarian. I love it.
0: Absolutely. All right. For this week, um, my picks I don't think will surprise anyone. I'm going along the cybersecurity trends um, on the winds of, excuse the pun, the solar winds news. So uh, Cloudflare and Cloudstrike, uh, pretty expensive this week, a pretty high implied ball. Um, but both longs for me, I didn't have that much money to spend after having those two stars in my lineup. Um, so gold, J&J, kind of to, on the continued vaccine play. Um, Amazon, I mentioned kind of what my expectations for AWS and, of course, the holiday season um, and Google, I think, Google actually is a pretty good-looking good looking name from a free cash flow perspective. Um, I, I probably want to own long-term as well. Um, but threw that in there in my portfolio as well. So I am long everything. Those are my six names. Uh, where are you going with this week, Sean?
1: Yes, considering I've, I've run out CrowdStrike and Cloudflare at least two of the last three weeks, I thought I would let you uh, at least get to enjoy some of the the cheat codes that those two present in terms of upside. So uh, this week, I'll be trotting out with my high-salary, high-volatility play Corsair um, breaking the bank at Fourteen thousand eight hundred, but fortunately, I got a number of cheap plays here that uh, I was impressed with how affordable they are. Cisco, like I mentioned, a nice cybersecurity play there, only five thousand. And looking for breakout with TSM being probably as cheap as it's been in weeks at eight thousand, and also Walmart only at fifty five hundred. But one trade I'm pretty excited about here, just because it seems like a no brainer, is the Tesla short. Uh, closing at 695 on Friday, there's absolutely no chance that it's, it's going to be closing above that number on Friday, um, which you know I shouldn't be so confident since um, the, the market is especially irrational with this one. But at least in, in Wall Stars, this is a, a bet that I'm willing to make. And then to round it out, I am going with a bank here. And I know that you are much bigger on the banks, but long JPM because uh, you know one piece of news we didn't mention, the uh, bank stress test results came out Friday. And total shocker to everyone involved. Everybody passed, um, so round of applause for them as well. But also, we learned that uh, share buybacks are back on the table. So maybe it is time for the banks and the whole XLF crew to to be making a move here. So I didn't go with uh, your your value baby there, Wells Fargo, but I do like JPM uh, in in the week ahead. Yeah,
0: I kind of wish we had talked. Maybe we'll save it for next podcast. But I think this was some hidden news that kind of broke Friday. Um, I will uh, tip my cap to myself. I did predict this would happen. Uh, the share repurchases being authorized, I think is a sneaky bullish piece of news that I don't think really has been priced in. Wells Fargo, I'm going to say for sure, um, and Bank of America too, will be repurchasing. We, we talked about this a little bit when we were talking, I think, about Cloudera a couple of podcasts ago, which also authorized a pretty nifty repurchase program. You know, for, for as much as people love these growth stocks and some of the SaaS names, none of those companies are buying back their own shares in part because they don't have free cash flow or cash on balance sheet to, to spend. If they do, they're using it to reinvest in the companies or, or go out and make kind of crazy M&A deals, looking at you, Slack, and Salesforce. Uh, I could be proven wrong on that one. But I, I think it's very significant that I, I already thought the banks are undervalued. I think for sure that you're going to be paying dividends or repurchasing shares. I think loan loss reserves are going to be less than are expected. We already saw that a bit in Q3. Expect more of it in Q4, um, but overall, I think if you're looking for a contrarian play uh, that represents some good value, recommend XLF, specifically Wells Fargo, um, and for the kind of less risk-averse, or more risk-averse, excuse me, Bank of America. Uh, Remember, Berkshire owns a ton, so I think this also could help in my BRKB uh, versus QQQB. But we'll see what happens. All right, buddy, any closing thoughts before we wrap this thing up?
1: Uh, Smoke weed every day. I think that's it. We'll see.
0: We haven't talked about Tilray in a long time. Maybe next podcast.
1: One to watch in 2021. So listen to next week for an update there on your weed stocks. Yeah. They did actually just make a, uh,
0: I think they just merged with another company, but we can talk about that in a future show. Great value. Good value. All right, buddy. Until next time. Happy trading. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of Stock Talking and read a blog with my latest trade recommendations, market commentary, and more, visit postcoronastocks.com.